0: Are we saved, and especially in times like this, are we saved just to lie back and let everything happen and that we have no authority, we have no power? Are we saved even in normal times to be able to serve, to be able to go in faith and in power of the gospel, of the word, and the power that God gives us, or are we just saved and we just tote along and go to church until we die or Jesus comes and then we end up with him? Of course, we are to occupy until he come. And so sometimes the church forgets these things. I'm not saying that we are superhuman, but we are to occupy until we come. And we're going to look, God willing, I don't know how far I'll get tonight, but God willing, we're going to look at Old Testament and then New Testament if we can tonight. We're going to look at word study. I'm going to take you on a word tour. A word study and a word tour. I need to prick up your ears because we're going to go a wee bit deeper and I'm going to try and take my time that you just don't, I don't lose you. So I was sitting thinking about all this today, and I was on the phone, basically my phone ran out of charge with needing the phone back and forward and finding out what was happening and what we could do, and phoned, I phoned the elders, and then I phoned the trustees, one each, and then I was trying all of this so to sort of get around people, and then a few people I needed to get in touch with. And by the time I was finished, I had this thought dropped into my mind, and I thought, I'm going to write um, I've just jotted down a couple of bits and pieces here uh, that we're going to look at because I feel that the church needs an encouragement. It needs to know who we are. We need to know who we are in these times. That we're not just someone that's saved. And you know what? Now you can just trundle along. And even in every ordinary, everyday life, you know, it's it's, uh, the power that God has given us through his spirit and his word, the authority that we have, in Christ. And, and it's to look at these sort of things. But I want you to see our source first from God. The word power. P-O-W-E-R. it's occurs in your King James Bible. Say King James Bible. Because you say Bible. And you could be reading something spurious. But King James Bible. 272 times. 272 times. And 260 verses. So we're not going to look at all of those. Obviously, I've picked certain ones to try and help you. And what we want to look at then is the first mention of the English word power. Then I'm going to separate it into the Hebrew. There's two main Hebrew words. We're going to look at the two main Hebrew words. And hopefully, by the time we're finished, you'll be instructed and you'll be helped. And maybe we'll all be a little more uh, further on in, in our intelligence and as, as it is in our Walk with the Lord. Will you turn with me to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. This is the chapter. I'm relying on maybe your uh, your Bible knowledge to know of um, the story of Jacob and Laban. And Laban asked uh, for Rachel, the wife, and he gets Leah, if you remember, and then he has to work on another seven years to get Rachel, um, and then so Jacob means twister, surplanter, heel grabber, because he did that with Esau in the womb. And so we we find that he's still Jacob here in the sense where he's still got that little bit about him for he now turns the tables on Laban. So Genesis 31, just for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 5. Jacob said unto them, that's to Rachel and, and Leah, I see your father's countenance that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And you know that with all my power, that's the first mention of the English word now, the English word power in your Bible. And he says, you know that with all my power, I have served your father. Now, here, if we go over it in the same chapter, and let your eye run down then again. Now, Laban is speaking to Jacob, caught up with him because he tries to so, uh, take off his cattle, and Jacob's well thinking, well, I've worked this length of time for it. I'm not really cheating you, so we'll, we can't go into the full story. But notice what it says uh, in verse 28. This is what Laban says to Jacob. Is it in the power of my hand to do you hurt? But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thy heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, notice what he says in verse 29. Is, it is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. The word here for power, we're going to look at that in a little moment. Now, notice this. And then he says, "But the God of your father." Now they're related. Why does he say the God of your father? He means not only I, uh, Abraham. He's talking about uh, Abraham being called out of the, Ur- of the Chaldees because Laban was in Hebrew, but he hadn't come to know God in the sense that uh, Abraham had. Laban hadn't come to that stage. So he's the God of your father. You know, sometimes even in our in our families or in uh, where we live and workplaces, no, it's your God, they say, your God. And because they haven't come to know a relationship with the Lord. And Laban is saying this, even though he's in Hebrew. But notice here, what we want to make sure of at the start of this and the outset of it is, you right here, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty, the full sovereignty of God. So here is is in the, the power of Laban to do Jacob hurt And God speaks to him and says, no, you won't. It's the sovereign will and plan and purpose of God. So God has his hand on everything, brothers and sisters. God is in the intricate details of our lives. Now, when we go back to verse 6, to the first mention, Jacob says, and you know that with all my power, I have served your father. Notice he's saying, I have served your father with all my power. Power. Now the word power here is the word koakh. If you want a, a, a loose English spelling of it, B K O A K E H koakh, koach. and it really gives the idea of something with an inherent, intricate power. So, for example, when we look at these two, go to verse twenty-nine again, and underline there. It is in the power of my hand. The word power is English. It's the same as verse 6. But the Hebrew word is different. The word here is El. El. Okay. So you might notice that word El. And we're going to break this down a little bit more. And then bring you back to where we are. So we're going to go down if you want a a spiritual rabbit trail for you here. And you can, why don't you try and grasp this. So why is there different words for power? And why did the English translators only put in one word, which is power? Well, in other places for the word, they have changed the word. But here, it gives the idea. So let me put it like this. If you have a Mercedes AMG, what is it, 380 brake horsepower, something like that. There's a lot of power in it, isn't that right? That's the inherent power. But that power isn't released until you're out in the road and you put the boot down and it hits that power band, and off you go. Isn't that right? So then it's released. So the authority of it is, it's driving, it has that authority, that would be the L. The the koath would be when it hits that power band and the power is released. So here Jacob's saying, in my strength I done everything. I released all I had into working for Laban. Can you see it now? So it gives you, it can actually be for the ground has power to bring forth fruit. It releases it out. And this can be also translated and changed over to the New Testament. Hopefully we'll get there later for you. So here we have for Jacob saying, My power, it means I've labored with all my strength. I've exerted my power and given it. But when it comes to Laban saying power to Jacob, what he's saying is, I have the ability to do you harm. But he doesn't release it because God told him not to. And what has he got then? He has an inherent power, or if you want to go a step further, he has an authoritative power to do Jacob harm. Jacob's power was to serve Laban with all that release power. So now you can see why there's a difference in the Hebrew word here. Okay, so well, let's go a little bit further. Let's go to Genesis chapter 14. Tell you what, let's go to Genesis maybe chapter 4. Now we'll try and do this. I've just jotted down a few things here. And I want to go as I can maybe make it easier for you. Okay. So here's the word again. Koath. Take, that that. Coath, which Jacob had poured out his strength, poured out his power, released that which was in him, okay? So if we can keep that in mind, I don't want to try and confuse you here. So when we go to Genesis 4, and that's where I run down to verse 12. This is, this is the, the Lord putting Cain out of, uh, out of the garden, not out of the Garden of Eden, but the area where they lived at the time. When thou tellest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now you see the word strength, it's the exact same word power, or the exact same word where Jacob expelled that power, the koach. Everybody with me okay? The ground strength will not yield to you, will not release its power, will not release its corn and its fruit and its vineyards and so on. So, uh, So that's that word. I'm just giving you examples of this to try and get it because it's what God has really placed in the new covenant in us. Okay, so when we look at that then let's go to Genesis chapter 14 if I've got this one right. Genesis 14 and let your eye run down to verse 18, yes. So this is when Abraham meets the king of Salem. And a verse 18, he says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. See the word here for God? It can be El, E-L, or Elohim. Now, why am I saying that? Stay with me now, because when Laban came to Jacob, because this name I'm going to spread it out for you, you're going to say, I didn't realize that. When Laban came to Jacob, he says, is it not in my power? In other words, I have this authority. It's in my El, my El. And that word is in Elohim, El yon It's in names like El Ijah. Remember the Lord on the cross cried, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken? I mean, they thought he cried for Elias or Elijah. Well, that's why, because he's the El Elijah or Daniel and so on. And so here, the God here, he is the same Elohim, the, the great El God, the God of authority, the God who is sovereign, and the God who is in power. And so that's who Abraham comes up to Alm the high priest. Okay? And notice what he says there. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and, was, and he was the priest of the most high God. So stay with me. So remember Laban says, Al, it's in my authority power. It's with me to do it, but it wasn't released. Jacob said, I have given my power and the Koath, I have exerted myself. I have given it out. It's like the ground exerting itself. And giving it out. Okay, so Genesis chapter. Uh, okay, let's go to chapter 28 why we're this way. Genesis chapter 28, please. Now we're going to see how. So the word El is in Elohim. Look up Genesis 28 and while you're there before we go any further in Genesis 20, I always want to run this passage instead of run back and forward. So, for for example, the word Elohim is first found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is God, the creator God, okay? So, that is God with the authority. The spirit of God moves. That's God exerting the power. Is everybody with me? Okay. All right, everybody's with me. So whenever we are we're looking at this, then we're looking at God as the great Elohim, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Genesis one, and all those things that we read about. And the word Elohim is plural, and yet it is. Let me get this right. It's plural to the noun, but it is uh, pardon me, a singular to the noun and plural plural to the adjective. This is what it means. He's singular, yet we read of him through the scriptures as Father, the Word, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see him as uh, um, the pillar of fire, same as the the pillar of cloud, the burning bush, and so he that's the plurality. And yet here we have him as one God. Elohim. Okay, is everybody with me? Okay? Everybody with me, yeah? So the el means. He is God. He retains the sovereignty. He retains within him is the inherent power, the authority over all the earth. Through this time and all we're hearing, he's still on the throne. He's still in control. He's never relinquished his power. And so all who are on the thrones are only there because God has allowed it to be so. So now, when we look at this, Genesis chapter 28, it um, And let your eye run down, please, to verse 12. This is Jacob again. It says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up in the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascended and descended on it. Now, if you're reading that, it says angels of God. Here's a strange thing for you. The angels here, the word angels, check it out when you go home. The word angels here is Elohim. Strange that, isn't it? So it means a divine It means a, something sent from divinity. So the angels are at his command. He's the created substance is created by God, and the idea of it here is used here is Elohim still. And that's a strange thing, isn't it? Hold on, we'll look at it again. I'm going to look at something else here. Let your eye run down to. I tell you what, let's go to Psalm sixty-eight. Psalm sixty-eight. And let your eye run down to verse seventeen. Psalm 68 and verse 17 says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. The word angels here is the word Elohim. Are all the angels God? Absolutely not. The idea can be here that because God is there, they're sanctified by his presence. They are, as it were, made by him and sent by him. So they have an authority to come to do his will. You get where I'm going here now in the new covenant? Has anybody caught on to this yet because of the authority and the power in the new covenant for the church? So here we see in Genesis 68, verse 17, the chariots of God are 20,000. Isn't that fantastic? Imagine 20,000 chariots. Of God's angels, it's like Elisha with the servant. Remember, and he says, "Open this lad's eyes and let him see what's around about." And the hills were full of of chariots of the Lord, and and uh, the, the 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 young servant couldn't believe his eyes when the Lord had lifted the scales from off his eyes. And he says, "There's more be with us than be with them." So, brothers and sisters, not only has God on our side. Not only is God with you, neither to leave you nor forsake you, but one, God has placed angels in disposal to be disposed to the sons and daughters of God. And there's more that be with us than be out there. There's more that be with us than be with all else out there. So also as well, God then brings the authority that he has in his word and lays it upon the child of God. We're going to look at it in a minute, so stay with me. Look, we're going to go through a couple more of these um, or so, and then we're going to we're still on this word Al Elohim, okay? For example, uh, let your eye go to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. The Book of Judges, and it's chapter two. If I've written this one right, I hope I have. Judges chapter 2 and verse 19, I think. What's why I'm in Joshua? That's why I, I wasn't Judges there. It's not going to work that way. Sure, it doesn't. I was wondering why I couldn't see it. Judges chapter 2. There actually should be two here. One in verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. Okay. And yet they would not hearken unto the judges, their judges, but went a whoring after other gods this is Israel's God speaking to of and borrowed borrowed themselves unto them. They turned wickedly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the command and obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Now let your eye run down to verse nineteen. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them they ceased not from their own doings and from their stubborn ways. Do you see the word there in verse 17 with a small g gods, g-o-d-s and then again in verse 19 in following other gods, small g. Believe it or not And the Lord is speaking here about their gods. What he's saying is, he calls them Elohim. Yet God created Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second, sure, you're God. And the the idea of this is, gods were plural, but yet it was God to them, which was singular. So let me put it like this in a simple form, if I can. So when you and I are talking about him... I love him. Who are we speaking of? The Lord Jesus. God, aren't we? So our God, we're speaking of him. Our heart knows. When the the heathen here or the ungodly are looking at their gods, whatever their god may be, whether it's an idol, whether it's somebody out in the world and someone rich and famous, whatever. That's their god. And as far as they're concerned, they're consumed with this. They follow this. And the Lord says, that's your Elohim. And there's many of them. See the plurality. There's many of them. But I am Elohim. That's what he's saying. Is everybody with me still? Okay. Okay. So when we look at that, we can see, go with me in to the book of Ruth. Come on Come on. And Ruth, chapter one, just. let where I run down. Verse 15. Remember, um, whenever, whenever this is happening here, we're told that Ruth is a Moabite. And I'm going to teach you on that sometime. I know the Bible says it. I don't believe she was a Moabite. If she was a Moabite, she wouldn't be allowed into the congregation of God's people, Israel. That's God's law. But what it meant was Israel had, in history, taken over Moab, and she had grew up. So it's like, us oh, same, we're Ulster Scots. And yet, we originally came from Scotland, say. Well, some of us did anyhow. South Africa. <laughs> Not right, Doreen, South Africa. So say South Africa, Doreen, you know. And you were to turn around and say, well, I'm an Ulster woman now. You know, you're... you're, you're, uh, you're uh, you're one of us, so you have to say you're an Ulster woman or you want to call yourself British or I you know, but Ulster will do. Uh, but we, we're, whenever we think of you as then, say, from South Africa, your real place was South Africa, your home, isn't that right? And Ruth and her family, they would have been Israelites living in Moab after the captivity of Moab. So she was a Moabite, but to her lineage, she was an Israelite woman. Big story, I'll have to teach them that about the laws, where the law falls in. And I hear people all the time, Ruth the Moabite, because it says it here. But she was from the land of Moab. She wasn't a Moabite, she was an Israelite woman. Now notice this, let your eye, I got carried away there a minute. Let your eye run down to verse 15. Remember their husbands dying. And she said, behold thy sister in the law is gone back. Under her people, what law? So is Naomi saying, what law? If she's not an Israelite, which law? Think about it. Naomi is instructing her according to the Israelite's law to go back. Notice this. And unto her God, small g, return thou after thy sister-in-law. And verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people. She's going back to Israel itself. My people shall be yours, and yours shall be mine. Notice. I will go where thou lodgest. I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Now, notice here the small g gods is Elohim. And yet when it gets to the big g god, your god, your Elohim is my Elohim. That's what she's saying. So she's willing to leave the gods that have come into Israel and Israel have integrated into Moab. And so you can see the difference. It's separating who's gods and who isn't and who is God and who is not. And it's a separation. It's, a, it's what we would call today a sanctification of things. Okay, let me go on a little bit further with you. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, please. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And let your eye run down to verse 25. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat him? Treat, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding they hearken not to the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. See the word judge. The word judge is Elohim. Judges in Israel were called Elohim. Why? Again, take note here. Take note because they were set in place before there were kings in Israel. The judges brought the word of God and they actually were the, if you want, the, the, the church in Israel, if I can call it that at that time, the leaders. So they were actually bringing the word and the law and the prophets. So they were the people in place on the earth to occupy, to lead Israel through God, God through them, pardon me. And so when they judged, they judged under God. So the Elohim will be your Elohim. They'll bring the word so it's, it's the it's when you see this into the New Covenant, you'll see this word taught or preached or whatever it should be taught or preached according to this word. Because when we bring it, it's what? What word is it? It's God's word. It's not right. So it can't be. Unfortunately, today you're hearing more about men's fanciful ideas and nice little stories and you're hearing about, you know, all these things that tickle the ears and there's no word preached and it's lovey-dovey here, there, and everywhere or let, let's go crazy stuff and all, you know, all of this stuff. But according to this word, it is when we stand up behind a sacred desk like this or whether we stand to witness, it must be according to that word, whether we like it or not, because the Elohim gives it to us through the spirit of Elohim that we must give it to the word of Elohim. Only we know him as the Lord God and Jesus. Is everybody with me? You see it all even in the Old Testament, the pattern. Okay, let's look at something else then. Let's go to Psalm 22. I'm trying to do it as uh, not go back and forward as much as possible. I've tried to write these out. Psalm 22, please. Okay, so let your eye run down for me then. Obviously, you're looking at my God, my God. That's not where we're going because we've mentioned that. So let your eye run down to verse 15. Now, it's Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. You read Psalm 22 and have the cross in mind and see it fulfilled before you. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the crook. The Lord is my shepherd. So the cross, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Psalm 23 is the psalm of the shepherd. And Psalm 24 is the psalm of the crown. Hence in Psalm 24, who is this king of glory, the Lord of, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The cross, the crook, and the crown when you're reading that. Now notice here, in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me on death. Pardon me, thou hast brought me into the dust of death. See the word strength. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Being the Psalm of the Cross, we think of Christ on the cross, and he's thirsty. He's in agony. And here the Spirit of prophecy is saying, "My strength is dried up." Now the word L for power. Remember the inherent power, the authoritative power, changes back to the other one of Jacob, Koaf. My strength is my power, my Koaf. So as a man, not only is he a God man, but as a man here, feeling everything of the pain and the suffering that you would feel or I would feel on the cross, his tongue's dried up like a pot or sure, dried piece of pottery. He's cleaving to the roof of his mouth. He's no strength left physically as a man. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's had no sleep. He's been maligned. And, and there he hangs on the cross and he said, I have poured out my strength as a man. And yet he wouldn't die because no man takes his life from him. He's the power to lay down his life. He's the power to take it again. And he only died when all things were accomplished. And he says it is finished. So here the, the word here for power. And Jacob says uh, I have served you as it were with my power. I have served you with my cloth. I have poured my power out. And if you didn't do something. So if I was to go down and lift. say so he would say let's stack the chairs. Remember every Tuesday night and we were getting the place ready for the kids to come in here on a Thursday morning and um, the wee babies. Remember used to say well everybody move the chairs. Well you were starting to stack. Weren't you? and put the charge. you were exerting the power. It's the same here. You're exerting the power. Okay, so let's go to Zechariah 4. Zechariah 4. You're all going to know this as soon as you turn to it. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Zechariah 4, verse 6. This is the last mention of, of the English word power in the Old Testament, okay? So we started with the first mention, the law of first mention, then we split it up into the two Hebrew words that it meant. We traced them back, and then we went forward with them, and now we're at Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, and the Lord says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So what he's saying here is, Not by might, but by my exertion of power. Okay? Can you see that now? He releases his power. By my exertion of my power, things get done. So when we think that God's not moving, whether it's in our personal life, whether it's in our walk with him, whether it's in our society, whether it's in our nation or whatever, we think, Lord, where are you? God hasn't relinquished his power. God has his power. He has an inherent power that never can be abated, that cannot be vanquished. And he holds it, and then at times, to bring revival, to bring salvation in meetings, or whatever it may be, to bring blessing, help, and it also can be for miracles. He releases his power. So he comes from the L, the authoritative power. I am the sovereign God of all authority, the great Elohim. He steps down, as it were, and becomes a man. And he starts to release his power. His son dies. We've looked at it. He's buried. He rises again the third day. He ascends into glory. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what happens? The word right hand means in the place of authority and power. That's what it means. So there he's seated. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. So Christ Jesus, the only works of man that's in heaven today. Do you know what they are? The works of the nail prints on his hands, his feet, and his ribbons. It's the only works of man in heaven. The scars that he bears for us. So when we look at this Zechariah says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Okay, one more of these, and I want you to see, we're going to go back to Ella, the inherent power. Let this, I hope this, you catch this, you catch this. This is the stuff that whenever I'm feeling down, I go and study like this, and this builds me up. This is what, this is what makes my toes open and close, you know. People listen to worship music, I don't, I I do this, this is me. So today all this going on, I went up into my study and I just said, I'm going to write, and this is what I came out with. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 24. Pardon me, 22. Genesis 22, verse 13. Abraham is caught. pardon me, Abraham is going up Mount Moriah with Isaac to sacrifice him. And he asked where the sacrifice is and where's the wo- here's the wood, the fire, where's the sacrifice? And he says, and notice what it says in Genesis chapter 24. Let me just find the verse for you because I need to run down it myself here. It's in, the first word again, okay. Okay. Verse, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why again, I need to get my eyes tested, I don't know what I've done here. I'm in the wrong chapter, I'm going, well, what am I doing? Okay. Verse 13. And it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Remember, he's coming up one side of the mountain. Where's the sacrifice, says Isaac, little did they know God had already provided, because he's not up one side of the sacrifice, a ram was going up the other, and it was just, the Lord had him just stay there caught by the horns, the ram's horns in the thicket. I noticed this. Take note of this. So if the word El, Laban's power, I could have done you hurt, but I didn't. I held it. It's an inherent, it means I have a rank of authority, where you can order soldiers or someone's. In Bible times, you know, off with their head type of thing, but they would hold the power. They would hold the authority. A a captain or a general in an army holds authority, and yet he's not going around doing a lot of stuff, but he holds authority. That would be the same, similar as L here, okay? So it means rank, one who judges, one who has strength. It comes from a word here. When you also look at the word, Okay, L, it means, it comes from a word, I yell. Okay? I yell. Let me give you an English an English spelling. You can write it down and help you, maybe. It's A H Y I L. I yell. That's where it goes. Something, somewhere. Okay? And it's used, you ready? I yell, where L comes from, having 40. This is where, what it means. It gives the idea of something twisted together for strength. When Abraham is going up, the ram is caught by the thickets by its horns. But instead of just saying the horns, the word Yell here means ram. Because of its horns. Okay? So when we look at this, I'm going to move off the Old Testament, just do a few of the new, and I'll, I'll, we'll go down to a time of prayer. Because time's flying. So when we look at this, the, 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 the strength in the ram's horns, it was so Ayal means the ram. And when you go into the building of the tabernacle, one of the one of the materials God tells him to use is the alyal, the skin of the, the the bloody red skin of the ram for the tabernacle. It's the same word the whole way through. When Isaac had asked, where's the sacrifice? You know what Abraham says? Son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. The Lord will provide. He didn't say the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. He says he'll provide himself. And what was the sacrifice? The strength of God who came down. Our great Ayal, the sheep, the ram, the lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came down to die at Calvary, he provided the sacrifice. God is El. El is God in the sacrifice. Can you see it? Everybody see it? When you see it and you get it, it just thrills your heart. Now notice this. Let's go to the New Testament for a few more. The first mention in your New Testament of the English word for power, P-O-W-E-R, is found in Matthew's Gospel. That is chronologically Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And if you let your eye run down, we'll all know this. So we'll just go right down to verse 13. The Lord Jesus says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's power. For thine is the kingdom and the power. See the word power? Right? Dunamis. That's, we're now into the Greek. Okay? From the Hebrew and sometimes the, the, the Aramaic will need, but it's really Hebrew and Greek, so we'll stay there. So now we're into the Greek. It's dunamis. D U N A M I S. It's where we get our word dynamite from. Stein is the kingdom. What are we starting off with? What we started off with at the beginning God's sovereignty. Thine is the kingdom's, his, the dunamis. Lord, you have to release your power to here. You've got to release your power to us. Jesus is praying here, as it is in heaven, so it be on earth. Isn't God's power throughout the heavens? Isn't God the, the great almighty God who's worshipped throughout the heavens in all power? Of course he is. And Jesus is saying then, As it's in heaven, so let it be on earth. As your dynamic, dynamite, dunamis power is, and that's the power of the koath. That's the released power. That's the released word. Let me give you an idea. What? Say I got a stick of dynamite, right? And I brought a stick of dynamite in here and I set it here. You're perfectly safe unless I light that fuse. Isn't that Right? It's not going to go off. It's not going to go bang. We're no danger unless you light that fuse. But if I brought the stick of dynamite in and I set it there and I lit that fuse, everybody would be scurping for the door, wouldn't you? So the dynamite has an inherent power. It's inherent. It's there. It's like that car. Here it is, but you have to put the boot down to release it. The dynamite is like the Allah. It's got a rank, it's got an authority, it's got a power. But when you light it and it hits the fuse, boom! it releases the koath. It's the Old Testament. Here it releases the dunamis. The dunam. Let me follow this dunamis a bit and then we'll go into uh, another word for power and hopefully it'll encourage you. So for example, that's your first mention. The word dunamis, or pardon me, the word power, is used 120 times in 116 verses in your New Testament. For example, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And let's write around down to verse 17, please. This is speaking of John the Baptist, okay? And he shall go before him, the Lord Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, here he's saying that John the Baptist would go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. This clears up something for you because when Jesus is asked... Was John the Baptist Elijah? He said, yes. When John the Baptist was asked, are you Elijah, that prophet that should come? He said, no. (laughs) Who was right? They were both right. Because here the angel clears it up in Luke's gospel. He is that figure of Elijah that was to come in the sense he comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Okay? The power here is the dunamis power, the dynamite released power of Elijah. Remember the woman in Luke chapter 8. You can write it down and maybe look at it later or tomorrow or whenever you get a chance. Luke chapter 8. Remember the woman touches the hem of his garment. And when she touches the hem of the garment, Jesus stands still. In Luke 8 46, he says, I perceive that virtue has gone out from me. The word virtue is dunamis. Released out. A releasing of power. Okay, it was like dynamite getting into this woman. Any wonder, her issue of blood stanched and stopped. The power of God came on her. And so Jesus says, virtue's gone out of me. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Here's one for Andrew 50 and the boys that'll go down the town when you're preaching. I'm sure you've used it many times. Romans 1 and 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The word power is dunamis. So when you're preaching the gospel the word has an inherent power that when it's preached those whom God hath given ears to hear. Notice. Elected with given ears to hear, they will hear because the power of the word, the power of the gospel is dynamite. And it's such a dynamite, it brings men and women from death unto life. It's released in the word. That's why the word needs preached. That's why the word should be preached in the pulpits. It needs preached, it needs taught. Colossians 1 and verse 18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, that's you and I, what is the preaching of the cross? It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the dunamis, it's the dynamite of God. So when you're out preaching in Belfast, Andrew Swifty or whoever else is out with you preaching there, you know, remember, this is dynamite stuff. This is dynamite, and that's why in pulpits, if they're not preaching the word, if they're not being taught the word, there's no dynamite. There's nothing to bring men from death unto life. People might go to a church because they're enjoying the, the fellowship, and yeah, I mean, I knew a church at one time used to have uh, money stuck to the bottoms of their seats and says, "See if you found any money on your seat today," and they brought them back the next week. I'm telling you the truth. And I tell you, the same church had balloons float with helium in them, and if you could jump up and grab one, there was fivers and teners and twenty pounds in them. Northern Ireland. And I know the pastor well, and I told him this is wrong. Bring them in. Bring them into what? There's no word. There's no dynamite. There's no dynamite. That means men are not, women are not brought from death unto life. There's no releasing of God's power. Um, you know, there was a man in America, he comes onto the stage in his sports car. Did you ever seen? him? He drives right into the church and onto the stage and gets out to preach in the sports car. Who's ever seen him? I can't remember his name. Is it the C3 church or something you call it? Something like that. Mega church. He actually drives right into the meeting, right onto the stage. He must have been coming. <laughs> Getting out there. No, closing the door. <laughs> you know, and this is what's happening. It's all flesh and pump, but there's no word. The word has been watered down. And when you take it even away from, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone, but you know, I'm, I'm staunchly strong in the King James Bible. And whenever you, you, you take away the, 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 the King James Bible, the closest English version of the translation of the scriptures, you know what you're doing? You're watering down a bit more and a bit more and a bit more until people come to church. Well, or different versions. Nobody knows what they're talking about. And there's no power in it. That's the book that changed the world, The King James Bible. There's no power in it. Notice here, so the gospel is the power of God, release power of God unto salvation. Well, oh, we'll do another five or 10 minutes, will we? Okay, everybody all right? That's the heat on in here, Andrew. I feel like a chicken going through my pork at the minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll fly through some of these. And 1 Corinthians 15. Let's run down to verse 55. This is the chapter of the of the coming of the Lord and the glorification of the saints and, you know, the resurrection from the dead and that. So, verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The word strength is dunamis. It's not power there. It's dunamis. So, the strength of sin, the power of our sin is found in the law of God. How can somebody get saved if they haven't, don't know the law of God? Because they don't know what they're saved from. They don't know the mirror that tells us that we're all sinners. It doesn't bring us in on unto Christ, because the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The word schoolmaster is the word pi And it was someone who reared a rich person's children from their birth right up, and they brought them to school, and they told them how to walk, how to act, how to conduct themselves, and they lived like this, and they taught them the word. And so Paul is saying that the law of God is our P.I. to go-go. It's what's to teach us to grow and how to grow, how we should conduct ourselves and tells us about ourselves. We're sinners, but it brings us to Christ. So the idea of this is, if if, if there's no word, if there's no preaching of the word, if the word has been watered down, if it's all fanciful fairy tales and that's all you're getting, people aren't going to be Built up. Why? Because there's no power. There's no power. Um, so the strength of sin is in the law. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, just moving quickly. Ephesians 3 and verse 19. I think. Okay. Ephesians 3 verse 19. That you may And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the dynamite power, the power. How is it working in us? Through the Spirit and the Word. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're the temple of God and the Word of God in the Spirit. According to the power that worketh in you. Ephesians 3. Um, pardon me, I've looked at that. second Timothy 1. You shall know it anyway. Write it down. Second Timothy 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. You know the word fear is? Phobos. That's so we get phobia from. God hasn't made us all full of phobias. See all the lists they put on? Phobia, phobia, phobia. God didn't give us that. Phobia now. It's now coronaphobia nearly. You know, it's what's happening it? everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we're going, we're going to die. God hasn't given us that mind. Yeah, but of power, what is it? Dunamis. Dynamite. He hasn't given us a, a, a phobia of anything else, but he's given us dynamite. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay. The last mention of it. That is in Revelation 19. We're not finished yet. We're going to look at one more word, by the way. I'm going to try and run through it quickly for you. Revelation 19 and verse 1. This is what we have to look forward to. This is what we can take on our hearts now. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor. And power unto the Lord our God. What he's, saying, what he's saying here is, first of all, God is sovereign. The whole way through it, and right to kingdom come, God is still dynamic, dynamite and power. He still works. He still moves. He still brings darkness, from darkness to light, from death unto life. God is still on the throne, brothers and sisters. So when I heard the news tonight, I went, oh, here we go again. And as I said in some, I'm tired of hearing those words. we will not go down that way because that'll take me somewhere else. I want to get this finished. Look, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we'll just do this quickly. It says in verse 29, Jesus is teaching it says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, I see the other word for power. So we were looking at power dunamis in the New Testament, okay? In the Greek, in the New Testament. The other word for power is nothing to do with dynamite or dunamis. It's a word exousia. Exousia. If you want an English rough spelling, it would be ex-double-o-s-double-e-a-h. Exousia. And this is what it means. One of rank. One of rank. Authority. Privilege. Right. Licence. To give one liberty. Okay. So power, authority, privilege, right, license, liberty. Or to give one liberty. That's what exousia means. And what's saying here, Matthew 7 and 29. For he taught them as one Having authority and not as the scribes. He taught them as one having power and not as the scribes. Meaning the scribes used to write from scribe to scribe and then put their thoughts to it. And so in Jewish writings you have things like the Mishnah. And what they're like is more or less like commentaries but they're held as divine oracles. It's like in the Church of Rome they hold the papal bull as in power With the word of God. And so whenever the Lord Jesus was teaching, he was bringing revelation from heaven, just releasing it on them with authority. He was saying, you know, all the prophets are saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Unto him give all the prophets witness. He's coming, he's coming, pointing to him. He steps forward and he says, I am come. Authority. Here I am. Let's go through this quickly. Mark thirteen. Mark thirteen, verse thirty-four, please. The Lord Jesus says, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to who? His servants. What did he give his servants? Who's his servants then? Us. What does he give us? Can you see it? And this is the word axusia power. It's authority. It's privilege. It's license. Can you see it? So El holds it. And he gives it to the judges who release it. You see that? God gives us his spirit. And his word to preach it and release it. Now, let's go to Luke 4. I'll tell you what, don't go to Luke 4. Write it down. Luke 4, the devil says to him, all this power will I give unto you. Remember? I give you all this authority is the word exousia. See the difference in the word here? All this power. It's not dunamis for dynamite, release power. It's all this exousia, all this authority. Jesus, I'll give you this privilege. I'll give you the right for all these kingdoms and all of these peoples if you bow down and worship me. So then I'm going to go to John 1 and verse 12. We're going to start bringing a closer home here. John 1 and verse 12. I'm just trying to work. I tried to work these out the best I could to try and keep them in a an articulate line for you. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So when you and I get saved, what did he give us? Power. The word power is exousia. It means he gave us right, privilege, license, authority. And he also gave us the choice to do for him or not to. We were dead, we had no will to be saved, you know. But when he quickened us with his spirit, then he called us by a sovereign grace and drew us to the cross and we were born again of the spirit. Now we have a decision to make. Do we want to serve or do we not? Do we want to trust or do we not? Do we have the choice to go on with him or not? To, To be out and to be doing things for the glory of God or to sit on our laurels and say, well, we're saved. That's the idea here. But to us, he's given us the right, the power, the privilege, the, exo- the authority, the exousia. And what are we to become the sons of God, nor other words, the children of God? John 10, please. John 10. Verse 18. The Lord Jesus says, I mentioned this earlier, no man taketh it, that's his life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. See for those who, who think Jesus isn't God. See for those who think he's just a man and he's not God. If he's not God, if he is not God, then one thing we're not saved. But another thing, for those who say he's not God, here he says himself, I have the authority to lay down my life and I'll take it again. And the Bible tells us the Father raised them, the Spirit raised them. What does that mean? It means the one God raised him from the dead. God was in operation in raising the man Christ Jesus from the dead. He says, I will raise myself. If he's not God, how can he raise himself? John 19, please. Verse 10. Then then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou that I have the power to crucify thee and I have the power to release thee? I have the authority to do this, he says. I have that authority. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power against me. You'd have no authority over me whatsoever. (laughs) That's what he's saying. You'd have no authority over me. None whatsoever. Thou couldst have no power over me, no power at all against me, except that we're given thee from above. Therefore, he that hath delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. Coming to a close on this. Acts 26 and verse 12. Here's Paul's commission, the apostle's commission is to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan, the authority of Satan, the privilege of Satan, Acts 26 and 18. The authority of Satan, the privilege of Satan, he has license over these people. Why? Because in their nature, they're sinners, depraved nature, fallen nature, they're sinners. That's who we were, under the power of Satan, under the license, the authority, the privilege of Satan. Now notice this. From the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What is Paul saying? He was to go and bring people from under the power of Satan unto God. From the authority of Satan. Colossians, no one i will go Colossians 1. We're getting there. Colossians chapter 1. Okay. And let your eye. Run down to verse. 13. 1 and 13. Come on. Listen. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. The authority of darkness over us. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is telling us here, he's delivered us from the power of Satan and the power of darkness, and you're a child of God, and it has no right over you. Satan has no privilege over you. Brothers and sisters, listen, I was talking to Alison about something today, and I said, some Christians think that Satan is an omnipotent God. Some of them get on as if he is the omnipresent one. He's not, and he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient either. Only our, God, our Father is. Only our Father is. And he's rescued us and taken us through the blood of Christ. And he's brought us from that power. Revelation 20. We'll, we'll stop at this one. If this one doesn't encourage your faith, if this doesn't make you want to stand in your head and spit nickels, as I say, or cause your toes to open and shut. So we're looking at excursion, the right, the privilege, the power, the authority. We've been rescued from it, from darkness. We've been rescued from it, and we have been given authority and a power. I notice this, Revelation chapter 20, and in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. When's that? When Christ comes. Second resurrection is at the end of a millennium kingdom age. And you'll read that here too. But notice this. The first resurrection on such, on the ones in the first resurrection. I want you to get this now. On the ones in the first resurrection, at the coming of the Lord, when the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. On the first resurrection, are you ready? You who have been brought from the power, the authority, from the license of Satan, from the power and the authority of darkness that we would have had forever, because we'll be in the first resurrection, it says, on such, that's you and me, the second death, that's in the lake of fire. The second death, what does it say? Hath no... So the second death, the lake of fire, has no right on you, has no power over you, has no privilege on you, and you are Christ for all eternity. So he's filled us. He's the, the great sovereign God. He is the Allah, He is the one who holds the authority, and he rel- relinquishes it through Christ and his spirit and his word to us to occupy till he comes, and when he comes, we'll be resurrected. If we're alive, we'll be changed. Listen, it's not a secret rapture. The ground's gonna open up, the cemeteries are gonna open up, the trump of God, and there's the voice of the archangel. You know, how is that gonna be secret? And we're gonna start rising from the ground. If we die, we'll be in the ground, and our spirits will be with God, but we will be made again alive unto God and our bodies will be resurrected. If we're alive, then the dead will rise first, and then we will be caught up together with them, and we will be changed in a moment. The change is in the moment. It means in a blink of an eye. Changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and you and I, we're going to be there, and it's going to be after a millennial kingdom age that there's going to be the great white throne judgment. Read Revelation chapter 20, and at the great white throne judgment, it has no right on you has no authority over you the lake of fire that burns forever and ever guess what i won't be able to call my name because i'm under the blood of christ and so are you and does that not encourage you tonight to know that it's not good so let's let's walk out in victory tonight will we